is Ricky Jones with another episode of From Sunday to Monday. Here at River Oaks, we have started a new little seminar we are teaching on Thursday nights. It is called The Gospel and Race, and we are talking about race relations and racial injustice, what the Bible says about it, and how we as Christians can help and get involved. And I've decided to take that seminar and break it up into three parts. I am uh, teaching it alongside my associate pastor, Jonathan Dorst, and a local uh, school principal named Dan Hahn, who's done a lot of research and thinking on the subject of race relations and Christianity. So I'm going to make all of that information available to you as part of our podcast, and I'm going to divide it up so each day you'll hear from one or the other of us. Jonathan spoke first. And our last podcast was uh, contained his seminar. Today we'll be listening from to Dan Hahn talk about how he made this uh, transition from someone who actually wrote a college thesis on reverse racism and did not believe in any racial injustice at all to the person that he is today who believes very strongly that uh, racial injustice is part of our culture and needs to be addressed. I hope uh, I hope you'll enjoy listening to this. You probably know me less than you know Ricky and Jonathan. My name's Dan. I'm just a a regular church member. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, what Jonathan said is so true, and um, I am not as pedigreed as these guys either. I'm just somebody who has um, read some books and spent a lot of time with. Um, students in Tulsa, um, a lot of them students that are feeling the effects of oppression in some way, and uh, through a long, me, a long history of failure at some of the things that I'm going to be talking about um, and learning the hard way and having people um, enter my life out of love and, and respect and, and letting me know um, just kind of how things are is the only way that um, I've come to know some of these things. And um, the yeah, what what Jonathan said is is, is breaking down that um, that idea that people are innately inferior. I've never met you know a, a modern evangelical person that would ever say anything close to that. Like that that they're like people of color are worse than than white people. I've, that would never happen. Um, and so a lot of what what I'll be talking about is something that's even more damaging in our culture, which, are, which is um, things like cultural normativity and bias that we don't even know, and I'm saying we, I'll be saying we the whole time, we don't even know that we're perpetuating some of these things. And um, in many ways, those things that are silent and those things that are unconscious are so much more damaging because now, in a more progressive society, we automatically chuck anything that is overtly hateful we're like yeah we don't we're not we're not there right nobody believes right like you can you don't have to google very far to see somebody who's you know they found out like a a sheriff in florida was in the kkk automatically fired right we don't stand for that anymore and so what what is really damaging is the systemic things the institutional things and we'll um i'll spend some time over the next few weeks unpacking some of those words um but one of the main things i want to talk about is uh, the problem that exists because there are a lot of people that don't recognize that a problem exists. I was a person for a long time that um, thought that my students were doing poorly because um, they were lazier, they had less of a a predisposition towards education, that um, they just didn't have it, 
that the, the things in it that, that were going on in America, the inequity that, it, that existed, was because, and I would have never even said this out loud, because that's just how people are. Those people are less successful inherently, and these people are more. And um, it's taken me a very long time, over a decade, to be able to, to emerge out of some of those, those things. And one of the reasons, um, one of the biggest parts of the problem is something that Ricky's talked about a lot, and that is our very bipartisan um, country that we live in that doesn't allow any of us to hold certain ideas at the same time, right? I, as a person that I lean pretty far left, and um, I have to fight all the time. I'll see somebody post an article that is pro-life, and I have an automatic, like, resistance to it. Even though I believe in it wholeheartedly, I know that my tribe doesn't, and it makes me go like that, and I have to say to myself, no, you believe in that. You believe in the, in the value of human life, and regardless of what your tribe says, or, you know, um, people that lean more conservatively care about the environment, but there's just like this automatic knee-jerk reaction to discount something that seems to be the other tribe's stance. And for whatever reason, um, things like racial equity in America currently seems to be one that somehow got partyized at some point. Which is which is weird, um, and and what the modern modern discourse te te is telling us is that you can't be pro life and support Black Lives Matter. You just can't. That's their thing, and if you're Black Lives Matter, you're pro abortion, and if you're All Lives Matter or whatever else, then you're pro. -life. You can't be both, even though there's a logical catalyst in something like Black Lives Matter and being pro-life, which is an, in, an intrinsic and a deep love for life that God has created and not wanting to see it destroyed for no reason. And so it seems like they would be logically linked, but our country and, and our, you know, our, our news people that we listen to that are just trying to make money off of us are telling us that we can't do those two things because it benefits the status quo for us to remain divided. Um, and I would say, that as Christians, we're not predisposed to conservatism or liberalism. And people will say, Jesus would have been this, Jesus would have been that, right? We're not predisposed to either one. As Christians, we're predisposed to what it says in Micah, right? Humility, um, mercy, justice. That's what we're predisposed to because those are the things that we've been given. And so it's important. A big part of the problem currently in America is that we're not allowed to do that. They're telling us that we have to choose and we have to do these things. And that's halting, halting the progress because we're all fighting and we're all having these, you know, wars and, and we're, all, we're all doing these things and hating on each other when really uh, we hold a lot of the very same beliefs. I don't think anybody probably in the world is a pure one way or the other. Most people hold a nuanced form of this ideological slant, and it's irresponsible to say that we can't have those. Um, and then, you know, we do have to talk about the problem, though, and the, and the next part of the problem is we do have empirical evidence and anecdotal evidence that all lives in America are not being treated like they matter. I am friends with Black Lives Matter folks and the We the People folks here in, 
in in Tulsa, and all of them, all lives matter, is is the truth. That is the, that is the truth at the heart of everything. There's nobody in any of these activism circles, liberal or conservative, that would argue with the fact that all lives matter. But we're looking at all of this evidence that says currently America is not living that out um, because because of lots of reasons and. When activist movements are criticized about being inherently discriminatory, people saying like something like Black Lives Matter is obviously discriminatory because it's saying all of the other lives don't matter is, is a really kind of a red herring that, that, that disrupts a lot of the progress out of some of those tribalistic tendencies. For example, uh, over the last couple of years, the ALS, Lou Gehrig's disease, has made a lot of progress through all of the the ice bucket thing was actually a massive success. They raised $115 million. Scientists were able to discover a gene that um, they think may have caused it, which I'm not a doctor, but that's a big step on the road to curing a disease is finding what's, what the cause of it is. And throughout all of that ALS awareness raising, if, some, if people would have stood up and said, not ALS, all diseases matter. Why are we talking about ALS? That's That's... You're discounting cancer, you're discounting diabetes, you're discounting all of these other things. But these people are saying, well, what we're passionate about and where we see a problem is with ALS, and, and there are things we can do to make it better. And so that's how we view um, the Black Lives Matter movement, is it's not saying these people are better, nobody else matters, we hate everybody else, which is how they've been painted in, in the news. It's saying, currently, there's a problem with this group, and... We, there, we, there's some things that we could do to fix it. So hopefully that helps break down because just when you, when people say Black Lives Matter now, it's just almost this like this recoil, and people stop listening at that point. And hopefully, as we're talking about those things, we can remember that because we do have a lot of data currently in America. Uh, 62% of America is white, according to the Census Bureau. Uh, according to the U.S. Department of Justice, 32% of the pris prison population is white. So that's half. Any statistics geniuses would know that the 62% of the prison population should be white. 96%. Pardon? Okay, we're going to get into crime statistics and over-policing and those things too, for sure. So what I'm saying is if we have... Any sociologist would agree that if we have 62% of a population that's, that's white, then in an ideal society, third, the 62% of the population should be white too, just because we're talking about math. And then 96% of the Fortune 500 CEO population is white. So we have some statistics that are skewed toward one race over another. And so we have to hold, you know, for me, this was a big part of my learning process, was saying either I believe, because I, like I wrote a college thesis about reverse racism, all this stuff, I was very like hardcore against ideas of, of privilege and some of these things in college, and some of the things that I learned was either I need to believe that these statistics show a big systemic inequity, or I have to believe that there is an innate superiority somewhere. And for me, that was my path. I had to choose either I think there is something systemically that's pushing people into paths of success or failure, or I believe that those people really are 
predisposed to crime, predisposed to some of these things. And that's been my path. Um, and then the other piece of it is the anecdotal evidence, right? We have, uh, according to a Gallup poll, 77% of black Americans believe racial profiling is widespread. 72% of black men between 18 and 34 believe they've been stopped and questioned by police solely because of their race. 85% of white Americans have a favorable view of police, while only 58% of blacks say that they did. And of the 12% of drivers searched by police in 2016, more than three times as many were black than white. So for me, uh, that, that's been a lot of my path in, in coming up with some of those, these, these ideas that something is, is deeply wrong systemically. And it absolutely does not mean that every white person in the world is purposefully and evilly perpetuating the system, but that there is a problem. And the divisiveness that exists is evidence that there's a problem that we need to talk about. And it's irresponsible to start saying, it's this person's fault, it's this group's fault, it's this time period's fault, because that gets away from actually talking about the problem and moving forward. And I think there are some, because of all of this data, right, and anecdotal data being a big part of it, I mean, um, just, I have a lot of friends that have experienced this firsthand, um, that have experienced, you know, the, the car doors locking when they walk down the street, and I've experienced uh, not getting an Airbnb when um, the person notices their picture, and, and Uber drivers passing by, and, and all of these things. This anecdotal stuff that doesn't really fit in an empirical way within some sort of a, a formula, but points to a massive widespread problem that we have to talk about. And as Christians who have been given so much justice and have been given so much hope and have been given so much grace, me as a Christian, I feel like there's a moral imperative for me to root out some of these causes as, as somebody who, I think this is a quote of Ricky's, that God is about the business of undoing the effects of sin from a few weeks ago. And so I want to spend most of my uh, short time over the next few weeks talking about solutions instead of the problem. Um, and some of the, the solutions are not, are not super difficult. Um, I, I want to talk a lot about, I mean, just the fact that everybody's in this room is a big step. Um, I think so few people actually will go and listen and, and dialogue about these things. It make, it's so much more comfortable just to stay in our own bubble and not reach across the aisle in these ways, especially in, if it's ways that make us feel uncomfortable. Um, it's important to seek out real relationships with people that don't look like us um, and, and listen to those stories and get to know them and love and get to ha and, and grow in like those, those relationships with them where there isn't the tribalism, there isn't the anger, there isn't the internet, there isn't anything except that human connection. Um, we need to elevate voices of people that don't look like us. For me, that a lot of that is, is by taking in, you know, books, movies, TV, music that was written by people that don't look like me so that I can start to form some sort of a, an empathic picture of what it looks like to, to live in this country, not through my eyes. Um, a big one is to look at that empirical evidence, and I think it's a great point of talking about the, the sources of the statistics and different statistics, because we're not just going to dwell on one statistic because that's part of the problem um, is, is bad statistics and bad information because there's so much information. 
Um, and uh, divorcing the issue from the, the tribalism that exists is big, obviously. And then um, it is a big responsibility um, that I've seen in my life as being somebody who is willing to cross the divide. Um, what a lot of folks do is they, they make the mistake of saying, well, if those folks want to be a part, then they need to come over, right? In, in any way, it could be, you know, we're, in, we're church folks, the non-church folks, they need to come in. The door's open, whatever. Um, but we as people that do desire to bring out that unity that Ricky talked about have to be willing to maybe go 90% or 99% of the way um, to, to bring some of those things out. So a lot of what I'll be talking about is just my, my path and my, um, the, the things that I've studied and the things that I've, I've come to see as, as true, but hopefully mostly solution-oriented. So I think Ricky is up. Thank you for listening to another podcast uh, from Sunday to Monday, the podcast of River Oaks Presbyterian Church. As always, if you have any questions, please email me at in, info at riveroakstulsa.com or ricky at riveroakstulsa.com. I would love to hear from you. Have a great day. See you tomorrow. Bye-bye.